As followers of Christ, uh, we always have to remember that when we give thanks for everything, we have to remember that the source of everything is God. And so while we certainly are thankful for the pilgrims, we should always be looking past them to the God who made them who they are and what they did and you know, everything they wrote and, and their lives, everything that happened ultimately came from the hand of God. So I want to first have us focus on, uh, on, this, on this idea with Psalm 115, verse 3. But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. And then Proverbs 21, 1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, like the rivers of water. He turns it wherever he wishes. And so we have to remember that just as the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, so the heart of the pilgrims was in the Lord. Just as God does whatever he pleases in everything and at all times, so too was it true with regard to the pilgrims. Now, if we're going to be thankful for the pilgrims, there's far too much, actually, I think, to choose from. So I, I've, I've picked out three if you want to call them character traits, if you want to call them virtues, you know, we're studying virtues in our education time. The best we could do in the, in the time allotted, I think. So the first virtue that I, I picked out for, that for us to be thankful for, and as an example for us, is they were particularly, and really with all the Puritans, they were those who sought to apply Scripture to every area of life. Now that... Doctrine is known as the sufficiency of Scripture. Uh, unfortunately, in the day we live in, uh, probably that might be maliciously called legalism. And, however, the pilgrims really did seek to apply Scripture in every area of life. And that reminds us of 2 Timothy 3.16, that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. If Scripture thoroughly equips us for every good work, and remembering that it is God who defines what a good work is to begin with, then Scripture is where we ought to go for every area of life. Now, one of the things that produced the pilgrims and the Puritans as well, there were, you could put them both under the umbrella of nonconformists, meaning those who did not want to conform to the Church of England and all its and all the things that were going on there with the Church of England. We can even go back 70 years before the pilgrims, around the 1550s. There was what's called the Vestments Controversy, and that's where the Church of England essentially sought to have the pastors, by rule and regulation, as a requirement, that they would have to dress more or less like uh, the Roman Catholic priests. And that was soundly rejected by the Reformed in England, by the nonconformists, that it, it reminded the worshipers, or it sent the message to the worshipers that there was still some sort of mediating priesthood, like the Roman Catholic Church and like the Jews had, but yet that's plainly not in the New Testament. It's not New Testament Christianity. Another aspect here with regard to purity of worship was the enforcement of the Book of Common Prayer and the Act of Uniformity. That's a couple years later under Elizabeth I in 1559. But essentially the, the state was telling the church, here's how you worship. We're going to give you this book. And the book was not automatically bad or necessarily objectionable in every way. But yet the state said, this is your book. You cannot deviate from it. And there's 
prison and, and, uh, and other punishments awaiting the pastors who, who pushed back. And yet there were many, many who pushed back, the pilgrims being, uh, be, being one part of that. So we see a, 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 a uh, seeking to follow Scripture in the area of worship. Then we see the spread of the gospel. Now, if you look on the front of your bulletin, you will see a quote from William Bradford that even as the pilgrims were heading to the new world, it was not just for, for the purpose of religious freedom, but also the pilgrims were seeking to spread the gospel to lands where the gospel was not known or heard. And so they were faithful to Scripture in that way. And then Mr. Huffman mentioned the stash of Indian corn that was found. And that was found in November of 1620. And again, it was seed corn. It wasn't the corn that kept them alive through the winter. But yet, uh, many people don't realize that the pilgrims actually repaid the Nauset tribe for that corn in June of the following year. So after they were through winter, they're, they're getting into early summer in June of 1621, the, the pilgrims were so scrupulously honest and forthright that they repaid the Nossets for that corn. And that reflects part of the character that was able to keep a peace for a little over 50 years between the pilgrims and the Indians. Those who would say that the pilgrims came in to rape, pillage, and plunder quite honestly, don't know what they're talking about. Um, and it was this, uh, this seeking to live according to Scripture in every way uh, helped make peace between the pilgrims and the Indians and thus blessed them for, for about two generations. So that would be the first a- area that the pilgrims really sought to follow the, the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture. The second one is the de- their devotion to their cause which they quite, quite rightly understood God calling, them to, to, God calling them to. So Matthew 16, verses 24 through 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now I'm going to read a quote from William Bradford. Uh, as, and this reflects the, their thinking as they're deciding, should we go to the New World? Now there were lots of stories about the Indians and, and other things, all the dangers, the wild animals that were in the New World that, that could possibly cause great harm to them or cause the entire mission to fail. And this is what William Bradford writes as they're thinking about these things. It was answered to those who were objecting to going to the New World that all great and honorable actions are accompanied with great difficulties and must be both enterprised and overcome with answerable courages. It was granted the dangers were many, but not desperate. The difficulties were many, but not invincible. For though there were many of them likely, yet they were not certain. It might be sundry of the things feared might never befall. Others by provident care and the use of good means might in a great measure be prevented. And all of them, through the help of God, by fortitude and patience, might either be born or overcome. Now that statement was very much tested that first winter. And Mr. Huffman alluded to that, so I'll I'll give a little bit more detail on that. The death toll from the first winter, basically, to, to just simplify it real quick, about half of the husbands and fathers died that first winter. Thirteen of 18 wives died that first winter. 
19 of 29 of the single men died that first winter, and four entire families were wiped out. Now, put that in context. In April, Mayflower's getting ready to leave. The Mayflower actually left April 5th, 1621. The master of the Mayflower said, if anybody wants to go back, you're welcome to come. I'll, I'll bring you back. Not a single person left. They all stayed to see it through. May God give us that kind of devotion to his cause as they had. The third, uh, third thing to be thankful for, the pilgrims, which God gave to them, was that they had wisdom to discern the times. First Chronicles 12, 32 says, Of the sons of Issachar, who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do, their chiefs were 200, and all their brethren were at their command. The pilgrims had enormous amount of wisdom, and even looking back to their view of the sufficiency of Scripture, the pilgrims took Deuteronomy 6 and the, the training of future generations very, very seriously. And yet, after they had removed to, to Holland, they saw some things that, uh, that were setting off the alarm bells in their minds, and I'll read again from, from William Bradford. And here's, here Bradford is listing the problems they're having with living in Holland. But that which was more lamentable and of all sorrows most heavy to be borne was that many of their children by these occasions and the great licentiousness of youth in that country and the manifold temp temptations of the place were drawn away by evil examples into extravagant and dangerous courses, getting the reins off their necks and departing from their parents. Is that a problem we have today, perhaps? That we need wisdom in confronting and facing? I think so. It's interesting, uh, the historical note here is that in Leiden, which is the city where they went to, and many of you not, may not realize that there, there was a very sizable pilgrim congregation in Leiden that never made it to the New World. It was actually a minority that made it to the New World. Basically, by the year 1660, so about 40 years later, there was no trace of the pilgrims in Leiden. And it wasn't because they moved, it because they had just been completely absorbed into the culture and you couldn't tell they were there anymore, except maybe a couple buildings or, you know, whatever, something like that. Um, we face that same danger today. We really do. Another sign of their wisdom, which also Mr. Huffman alluded to, was the Mayflower Compact. Because the pilgrims were not landing where their charter was, they were essentially in a lawless land. And remembering that there were non-pilgrims, non-separatists, there were basically uh, merchants and craftsmen who came with the pilgrims who were not part of that congregation in Holland, some of them are thinking, hey, we, we got free reign, we can do whatever we want to do. And the leaders of the pilgrims moved quickly to establish social order and establish a form of government, not having anything to work with other than their knowledge of English law, etc., to prevent mutiny, to prevent disintegration of the colony and of their efforts, and again, to bring order and safety to the group, recognizing that man is sinful, that man is rebellious at heart, and that civil magistrate is required to maintain order, and so that everybody could work together 
and actually survive the wilderness. And so these are two things we see where the, the pilgrims had great wisdom to discern the times in which they lived. So to, to, to summarize a little bit, if we go to 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11, now here Paul is exhorting the Corinthian believers to note the example of the Old Testament saints, or the Old Testament Israel, and particularly the, the bad example of the Old Testament saints. And Paul writes, Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages has come. And if we think about Hebrews 11, the great hall of faith, where all these saints are, are shown as an examples to us. They weren't supermen and superwomen. They were ordinary men and women just like us whom God worked through to do great things, even as they were looking forward to that hope that God had given them in the future. And yet the Bible gives us examples, gives us, gives us something to work with. We'll say we can learn from the past. We need to look at the past to see what's going on. And we need to remember that though the canon of Scripture is closed, the canon of history continues. God is still writing history. It's not as though he stopped at the end of the New Testament and now he's just letting things run however, just however. No, God is writing history. God still works in and through his people and we may learn much both from their successes and from their failures of the generations who have gone before us. So we can remember that of the pilgrims, they embraced the sufficiency of Scripture. We see how important that was and how that gave them a vision to serve God and to serve Him boldly. We see their wholehearted devotion to the cause which God had placed before them. And we see that they wisely discerned the times, but they also acted on that discernment. And so we do well to both follow their example, but also to thank God that we have their example as something to, that we might learn from, that we might look up to. Thank you.